Hello and welcome everyone. If you, if you, thanks Josh. If it's your first time here or if you're new, my name is Jobin. And as a church, we are going through this book in the Bible. It's a letter written by Paul to a church in, in the Roman Empire, in the city called Corinth. And we are working our way through this letter. And today we are in chapters 5, 6, and 7. It's quite long. And we are looking at some interesting topics. We will be discussing sexuality, sexual immoral, uh, sexual immorality, sexual immorality, yeah, yeah, that's not <laughs> And, and some legal issues in the church and so on. Exciting, isn't it? <laughs> um, but that, would you join with me uh, looking to, to God in prayer as we start? Our Father, as we, uh, as we uh, look, look at his scriptures in your word, pray that you would open our eyes, that you would speak to us, that we, we would be transformed to be more like Jesus, your son, Help us by your spirit, in Jesus' name we pray. I, I, I grew up in a warm place. Um, I come from India. And, and we have no notion of snow where I grew up. And the place where I went to university, uh, the locals say they have three seasons there, hot, hotter and hottest. <laughs> it's such a dry and hot city. And in such a place, if you would like to say something about snow, what would you do? Like, you don't even have the vocabulary to do it. And if you would like to imagine you live in a cold place, how would you imagine that? Like, is it like sitting inside a freezer? Or <laughs> what, what is it? So in my language, there's no word for snow. And the best you would describe snow is by calling it fog or dew. Um, that's the word people use uh, uh, to describe snow. It's, um, it's similar as we read this letter that was written 2,000 years ago. It's a completely different cultural context. It's a different, different society. Um, the issues they are facing is different. But as we look through it, we're going to look at some of the background uh, to understand the letter and to see God's truth in, in those scriptures because God doesn't change, his truth doesn't change, and we see that from the scriptures. I want to start where Josh left us off last week. Paul is writing this letter and wanting these new believers, they come with their baggages from the, from the Corinthian culture, from the Greco-Roman culture they lived in. And he wants them to grow up and not be babies anymore. They, he wants them to mature and not drink just milk, but also eat steak and <laughs> grow up. And so in <clears throat> chapter 4, verse 14, you would, see, say, uh, say, uh, you would see Paul saying this, I did not write these to make you ashamed, uh, but to admonish you as my beloved children. He's... He's talking to, them, talking to them as his children, and that's, that's his heart. That's where he's coming from when he writes all of these. And let's start in the first verse of chapter 5. So when Paul wrote this letter, they weren't 
chapters. He didn't say, oh, chapter 5, you got to start, verse 1, 2, 3. It came much later in for, for ease of reference. So this is more for our reference, these numbers. And we are actually reading through this section of his letter where he deals with um, marriage and sexuality and so on. So I'm reading from the letter here, chapter 1, verse, chapter 5, verse 1. It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that is not tolerated even among pagans. For a man has his father's wife, and you are arrogant, ought you not rather to mourn? Let him who has done this be removed from among you. So here's the issue. There's a step stepson and a stepmom living together, and apparently the church there sees it perfectly fine. They don't find any issues with it. On the other hand, they're boasting about it. It might be someone influential in the society. It might be someone rich with power and so on. So in verse 6, Paul tells them, your boasting is not good. Do you, know, do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump as you really are unleavened. And for Christ, our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. Let us therefore celebrate the festival not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Paul is taking an image from the Old Testament. Where, um, the Hebrew people, they, they sacrifice this uh, lamp in their place. So instead of them having to take the punishment for their sins, the lamp was sacrificed in their place. And he's saying, Christ, as we sang today, he died in our place for our sins. And so lead your lives, celebrate. Uh, when you come together as a church, be a people of sincerity and truth and not of evil among you. And then he goes on to say, verse 9 onwards, I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. Not at all, meaning the sexually immoral people, or immoral of this world, or the greedy and swindlers, or idolaters. Since then, you would need to go out of this world. But now I'm writing to you not to, not to associate with anyone who bears the name of a brother if he, if he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed, or is an idolater, reviler, drunkard, or swindler, not even to eat with such a one. So what Paul is trying to do here is say, Someone who's met Jesus, his life is transformed. He is different. He cannot continue living as he used to be. Sexually immoral, greedy, or one who cheats others, or someone who worships idols. This, he's picking up this to make a, make a sense for them in their society. Because it, it was a society that was greedy and it was a rich city with big gap between the rich and the poor and so on. And we live in a society where we see all of these vices. And it, it can be Christian sometimes emphasize only sex, sexual immorality and not emphasize on being greedy. It's wrong to be greedy. It's, Talk to be greedy for power or money or sex or, or things like that. But 
what Paul is trying to make a point here is someone who's met Jesus leaves his old ways behind. They, can have, they can't have both of, of both worlds. They can't keep living as they used to and also, um, also follow Jesus. This is the story of Jesus, uh, of this corrupt tax collector meeting Jesus, Zacchaeus. And once he meets Jesus, he, his life is transformed. He says, I'm going to pay back whoever I cheated. And I'm not going to live in the, in the old way. And I start my life new. Uh, it's that transformation. And Paul says, yeah, people in the world, people who have not met Jesus, who, have not, who don't follow Jesus, yeah, they don't, they don't know Jesus. You can't expect them to live as Jesus wants, as Jesus says. But you who follow Jesus or who claim to follow Jesus, where's your heart? Is it following Jesus or following the world? And so he says in verse 12, for what... For what have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those outside. Purge the evil person from among you. And speaking of judgment, then you can see Paul's mind switching to another issue in the church. Uh, goes on to say, uh, talk about law and judgments like Paul opening a new tab on his browser. If you're like me, you'd have 50 tab tabs open in the browser till your computer crashes. So Paul is doing something like that. He's taking a detour here. And goes, when one of you has a grievance against you, this is chapter 6, reading from verse 1, does he dare to go to law before the unrighteous instead of the saints? And do you not know the saints will judge the world? I'm not going to read the whole thing, but the issue is, People in the church, they are, they are cheating each other, and they're going to the court of law to fight themselves, uh, get justice, and you can hear Paul's frustration uh, in this language here. What are you guys doing? You're cheating each other. You're you're taking each other to to the court, fighting each other in public. This is not the way of Christ. He, his way is the way of non-retaliation. Um, someone hits you on one cheek, you show him the other cheek. That's what Jesus taught us. And if someone cheats you, yeah, try to get justice, bring it in the church, uh, get justice. But you are, you're going out of your way and, and bringing shame on yourselves. Uh, this is what Paul is trying to do in, in the next 10 verses. And from 9... He says this to the Corinthian church. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Goes on with a long list of things and says, no, these are not the kind of people who would inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Not popular to say this in the Corinthian city. Um, they, 
there were a small group of maybe 100 to 200 people there in the big city of Corinth, and this, these all were seen normal there. And to have, to holding such an opinion there would have been hugely unpopular. But we'll come to that in a moment. Um, he says, or people who, who, don't, who don't live, or who, are, who don't reflect God in his character wouldn't enter the kingdom of God. But how do, they, how do they get the character of God? And he says this, such were some of you, of the long list of things he mentioned, and he goes on to say, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I love these buts in the Bible. Imagine if I would say, I would say oh, Josh is a great person, you know, he's a great father, a great husband, but, and that ends it. <laughs> Whatever I said before that, it, it, it doesn't make, uh, it doesn't hold meaning anymore. That's what Paul is doing here. You might find yourself not good, good before God, but Jesus died for you. He took your sins on the cross. He washed you. He sanctified you. He's the one who is making you right. And because of that, you are sanctified. You are, you can call on the name of Jesus. That's what Paul is saying. And he's saying, you are, such, you are the people who are now called by the name of Jesus, and you're not supposed to be going and cheating each other and taking each, taking other, each, each, each other to law. That's what he's trying to say here. You're bought with the price. He, he comes to say in, uh, down, down the passage. So having said this, he now com- comes back to discussing sexual immorality. From reading from verse 12, in most modern translations, you would see these in quotes, all things are lawful for me. It seems like this was a saying among them, or, a, or, or this is their way of thinking, saying, oh, I can do whatever, it's my life, my body, I have the freedom to do whatever. So let's read from verse 12, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. Food is meant for the stomach, and the stomach for food. God will destroy both one and the other. So this was their thinking. Like, this body, this one. we've got one life, do whatever you, you like. This was the Corinthian thinking, which Al uh, gave, gave us a picture of when he was introducing the book to us. Then Paul comes and says... No, that's not the way it should be. From the middle of verse 13, he replies to them, saying, the body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ, and make them members of a prostitute? Never. And do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. A little bit of background here. Uh, Paul is writing to 
a group of men, most probably, in the Kundalini church who thought it was fine to go to prostitutes because that was the culture. Prostitu prostitution was legal in, in Corinth. They, it was even taxed. And people thought it was fine. And people before marriage, or men before marriage, and even after marriage, men were not expected to be faithful to their wives. They could go on um, and find pleasure every, anywhere else. And he's writing to these men who, in the church who thought, all things are lawful for me. I can do whatever I want. He's telling them, no. And what's his reasoning here? Can you follow, follow his argument here? In verse 14, God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. His referring to the resurrection of Jesus, Jesus being crucified and being risen three days later, he's referring to that and says, Jesus rose up bodily, his body rose up from the dead, and so you also would be raised up from the dead. 14, and God raised the Lord and he will also raise us up by his power, the body we have. So it's not a small thing. The body we have, the life we have, it's meant for the Lord. He's, he was risen and we too would be raised. And that's why we keep this, keep our body holy, holy to the Lord. And we don't go after prostitutes. He's trying, trying to tell, tell them, keep yourselves holy. For you, your body is not um, inconsequential. Christ has risen, his body is risen. You also keep your body for the resurrection. Now, if the resurrection never happened, it doesn't matter whatever I'm saying today. It doesn't matter. You don't have to listen. You don't have to even give, give, give any value to it. But if the resurrection happened, if Jesus is risen, it matters. This life matters. This life you have matters because Jesus is risen. Paul is writing this letter, but like 20 years after Jesus is written, some most biblical scholars, they would say it is written around AD 55, and that's approximately 20 years after Jesus was written. It's like I have memories of the Olympics that happened at the turn of the millennium in Athens, and it really happened, because I saw it on TV. Of course, I, it's not a myth. And this is the sense that Paul says, it's not a made-up story. People in Judea saw it, they, they witnessed the resurrection, and they went about proclaiming the resurrection of Jesus. And he tells them, Jesus is risen, so it matters. Your life today matters. And so he says, no, going to the prostitute um, is, not, is not good. And then he says, for it is written, the two will become one flesh. He's not trying to give a set of rules here. Christianity is not a set of rules that you follow by, but it's following Jesus. It's following Jesus because he's the one who created everything. He's the Lord of life. And realizing that, we are trying to follow him. When Jesus was on earth, some Pharisees, they were religious leaders of the time, they came to Jesus 
and they were trying to test Jesus, uh, trying to get his thoughts and opinions on marriage. And they bring up this topic of divorce to him in Mark chapter 10. And this is how Jesus replies, replies and gets back to them. Jesus is talking about the creation and why God created man and women and marriage. And from verse 7 of chapter 10, he says, like, of oh, 6, from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And this is where Paul's, uh, the two will become one flesh. That's, where, that's what he's referring to. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. So what Paul is getting to here when he says sex is not for sharing with a prostitute because they do become one flesh. What he's saying is it's for marriage and marriage as God created it is an external expression of a covenantal relationship between a man and a woman. A relationship for a lifetime a relationship of sacrifice, of love, of intimacy, of friendship. And sex is expressed within that covenant relationship of marriage. And this is what Paul is trying to say here by saying, don't go to the prostitute because God has created marriage to be between a man and a woman. And that's where sex is expressed. And he tells them, the young men, or old men of Corinth, Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that the bo your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. He it comes to say that we are the temple of God, place where God resides. When Jesus was risen and he went, went up to the Father, he said he will send us the Spirit. And when the Spirit, Spirit comes, the Spirit lives among us, we are the temple of God. God resides in us. And that changes the creation. We are God's temple and we have a responsibility as, as God's people to keep it holy because Paul says here, we were bought with a price. The price we were bought for is the death of Christ on the cross. He died for our sins. And so glorify God in your body. And having laid this foundation of marriage, Paul goes on to chapter 7 and tackles some issues and marriages in the church of Corinth at that time. The people being saved, um, coming to Jesus, um, wanting to follow Jesus, they come with their own baggages from the culture. And so one of the baggages, is, as I mentioned, marriages um, were not as today, it's not an equal partnership of man and woman. 
marriages were arranged by families. And it used to be the dad of the woman who used to arrange the marriage. And it was, the wife was seen more as a property of the husband, if you would say, uh, more for making a, um, making a, a listen to what yelled, a hair, a legal hair for the, for the, for the husband and also take care of the household. So it was not expected that the husband should stay faithful to his wife. He could go elsewhere. But the woman was expected to be faithful to the husband. Otherwise, the man could that was the woman. And so he, he go, Paul goes on to say in chapter 7, Now concerning the matters you which you wrote, so it's apparent they wrote a letter to Paul and he's responding to what they said and in quotes, it is good for a man not to have sexual relationships with a woman, but because of temptation to sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. The husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights. Um, and likewise, the wife to, to husband. For the wife does not have authority over her own body. You would have seen all the men nodding their head. <laughs> but then Paul goes to say something very countercultural that was not accepted in their society then. He goes to say, likewise, the husband's, husband does not have the authority over his own body but the wife does. And do not deprive one another, except perhaps by an increment for a limited time, that you may devote yourself to prayer, and then come together again, so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. And here's another thing that is going around the current society. They would see marriage as a baggage, and it's not for those who would want to be spiritual or want to attain higher ways of life, as they would say. They would say, don't get married. Or, or to people who are married, they would say, stay away from sexual relationship. That would make you more spiritual. And Paul is saying, no, you're married. You should be having sex. That's what Paul is saying. You, sh you can't stay away. You, sh you need to give uh, your, your, uh, the right to your husband or wife. And it's between husband and wife. You don't get, you don't, you don't go outside the marriage for, for, for the fulfillment of your desires. And then to people who would say, "Oh, don't get married, stay single," he he would say, "Staying single is a gift from God. It's not for everyone." So in verse seven, he would say, "I wish all were as myself, as I am myself, but each." has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. To the unmarried and widows, I say that it is good for them to remain single as I am, but if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry, for it is better to marry than, burn, and, than to burn with passion. So, again here, seeing why God created marriage for, and the place of sex within marriage. He starts off by saying, marriage is good, take it seriously, don't take it lightly. And then he comes to 
comes, comes, comes below and says, sexual desires are good. If you can't have control over yourselves, get married. And then going forward, uh, I'm not going to read the rest of the verses from 10 to 16. He is tackling issues in the church where one of, one of them, either husband or wife, would become a believer and they would think, oh no, maybe I should get divorced, I should, I should get divorced from my husband or wife because he doesn't share my, own, my beliefs. But Paul says, stop, marriage is important, don't leave your husband, don't leave your wife. That was a quick overview of what Paul is writing to the Corinthian church. It would have been quite unpopular for the Corinthian believers to live in such a way in their society. And it, I, I wouldn't imagine it's different today. But as I said, if Jesus is not risen, none of this matters. He is risen. And he reigns. And, and so we look to him and see what his design for the world is, what his design for, the, for us is, and we see that God, at the beginning of the Bible, we see a marriage, um, God creating marriage. It's God's idea. Marriage is God's idea. Sex is God's idea. And he created sex to be part of marriage, we can choose to take it out of marriage. Out of marriage, he gives us the freedom to do that. But his purpose for us, his desire for us, is that we enjoy sex in the context of a covenantal relationship of marriage. Uh, Jonathan Edwards. He is. He was 17th century pastor, theologian. He, he said like this, the difference between believing that God is gracious and tasting that God is gracious is as different as having a rational belief that honey is sweet and, and having the actual sense of its sweetness. God calls us to a relationship with him. And that's why God created us. There's nothing better than that. And as Albans read at the beginning of our worship, taste and see that honey is good. We might have the right beliefs, right ideas about God, but what he's inviting us to is a relationship with him, where we would come and see and taste that he is good. Can I ask the band up? Um, if Al is here. I would, uh, I would like to end with this, if you can stand. I would like to end this uh, with, a G, with Jesus' encounter with a woman who was caught in the act of adultery, who was caught cheating her husband, and the religious leaders of the day bring her to Jesus. Back in the day, in Jewish and Greco-Roman society, the normal people caught in adultery would be punished publicly. And he was, they were expecting him to condemn her. But there she is at Jesus' feet. And he comes to her 
with grace, with mercy, not with, not, not, not with shame, not with, not with words of judgment, but she, Jesus comes to her with words of grace and mercy and tells, tells her, I don't come to condemn you. Get up, leave, and sin no more. And that is what Jesus is calling us. He is calling us to be transformed, to be more like him, to, to, to this relationship with him. And this one life we have, this one body we have, he calls us to live for his glory. Go back to the creation. He created us. He created marriage. He saw each one of us in this room. He loved us. He chose us. You're not here by an accident. Here You're here because he saw you even before the creation of the world. And at the cross, Jesus paid for our sins. Instead of condemning that lady caught in the act of adultery, he gives her grace. He gives her life. Jesus said, it's not the healthy who needs a doctor. It's a sick. And I've come to give life. I've come to, come to give them life abundantly. Go forward in the future. He promises to come back. He, he's coming back for us. And he's coming back as a bridegroom. He's coming back for the bride, the church. And so the life, the short life we have today, it matters. Our bodies matter. Our lives matter.